Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.53 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 28th of January, 2022, and this is episode 535 of Bitcoin, and Linus Torvalds joins the fray in becoming Satoshi. If you have no idea what I mean, let's get into it. Just saying, just saying, Linus Torvalds, creator of Linux, on his GitHub, what appears to be the kernel on line six has inserted name equals I am Satoshi. I don't necessarily think that Linus Torvalds is actually trying to say that he's Satoshi, although he he may, I don't know. I mean, he just doesn't seem that, he doesn't seem like a guy that, you know, even remotely reminds me of somebody of the personage of Craig Wright, you know, but I, you know, let's, Let's just take it as it is. Linus Torvalds has inserted into into Linux, as far as I can tell, the kernel file, the make file, um, that uh, he is Satoshi. So, honestly, I, I kind of just think that he's doing that, saying he recognizes that Bitcoin is a thing. <clears throat> Knowing Linus Torvalds, he recognizes that Bitcoin is freedom money and that its place as the native currency of the internet uh, is is correct. Uh, that that estimation that we've made for a long, long time is now being echoed by Linus Torvalds, or that's my gut feeling. So anybody who's out there who's thinking that, oh my God, here comes another Craig Wright, I, I honestly don't think that's that's the issue on this. So if you're seeing... If you're seeing stuff, don't give Linus a hard time until he does something like, I don't know, files a lawsuit on copyright infringement or some shit like that. If he does that, then yeah, rake his ass over the coals. But for now, I'm giving the man the benefit of the doubt. Now, if you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. And if you're not comfortable with Podcasting 2.0, using lightning wallets, streaming Satoshis, then you are more than welcome to uh, give me dirty fiat on my Patreon, which is Bitcoin and podcast, all one word on Patreon, Bitcoin and podcast. And it would be much appreciated. And I do very much appreciate all the people that have already signed up to be patrons because it's a, it's a big thrill. And it's also a big thrill to see Satoshi's streaming in to my lightning node. We're going to get into that bits versus Satoshi thing here in a second, but we're going to do this one first. Why implementing AOPP could pose a risk to Bitcoin long-term, Nomsios Bitcoin Magazine. A true fuss started on Twitter on Thursday as news surfaced that Trezor, 
a popular maker of Bitcoin hardware wallets, has integrated address ownership proof protocol, otherwise known as AOPP, to streamline the process of address verification for users withdrawing Bitcoin from regulated exchanges, a requirement in some jurisdictions, Coindesk first reported. Trezor released a statement on Twitter soon after the Bitcoin community started raising questions in regards uh, in regards to the initiative. Quote, not supporting AOPP will lead to helping the government fence people on exchanges and our motivation to add direct support was exactly to keep government from doing so. Bullshit. <laughs> it's bullshit. Despite having some logic, Trezor's actions actually undermines the very set of principles it is trying to create. The purpose of having self-custodial Bitcoin wallets is to give power to the individual and by stamping a name, social security number, and home address to a Bitcoin unspent output, the network's pseudonymity is lost as knowledge of ownership is raised from an assumption to a certainty. The best course of action is to fight back against such rules as showcased in the Netherlands. In November 2020, the Dutch Central Bank mandated that cryptocurrency exchanges and service providers in the country required proof from users that the address they were requesting the Bitcoin to be withdrawn to was actually theirs. The measure was enforced by having users provide a screenshot of their wallets or sign a message. The country's oldest cryptocurrency exchange, Bitonic, set in motion a legal action in court soon after to dispute and object to the DNB's resolution claiming that the requirements were unlawful and should never have been made. In May of 2021, the DNB formally acknowledged Bitonic's complaints and revoked the wallet verification requirements. The DNB would arguably never have stopped to rethink its requirements hadn't Bitonic gone to court. The fact that the cryptocurrency exchange questioned the resolutions of the country's central bank and fought in court raised awareness of the problem with the requirements, setting a process of review in motion and ultimately dismantling the set of demands altogether. If Bitonic hadn't questioned the Dutch Central Bank, it wouldn't have questioned itself. A similar dynamic is in play when it comes to AOPP. The protocol isn't inherently bad as it simply seeks to facilitate the enforcement of wallet verifications measures in Switzerland by making an interoperable standard available to wallet developers to implement. But even though AOPP isn't in and of itself negative, it legitimizes the practice of checking it for address ownership and implementing it opens up a precedent for having the government influence developments in the open source Bitcoin wallet space. Surveillance and control mechanisms always start small and there is hardly a way to see ahead of one's time and discover the true direction such requests could take. Therefore, not implementing this standard is an act of sovereignty and responsibility as it protects users from future and possibly even worse surveillance mechanisms being implemented as per the request of regulatory bodies. In addition to representing an insurance policy, not implementing AOPP on prominent Bitcoin wallets also serves as a foundation to fight the wallet verification measures altogether, measures that represent a teardown of individual privacy and the possible normalization of increased surveillance on individuals' financials, financial transactions. Okay, so the wallets in question, Bitbox, Trezor, Blue Wallet, Sparrow, Edge, Mount Pelerin, Rely, 
L or sorry, R E L A I and Actionariat. Now, uh, Sparrow Wallet and Blue Wallet have, it may be more, but at least those two, Blue Wallet and Sparrow Wallet, have said that they are removing AOPP. So any wallet, I'm just making a statement here, I will not buy or sell, give away, use, nor recommend any wallet that has AOPP as part of its firmware or whatever, you know, software or whatever it's running. I'm not going to do it. Sparrow and Blue Wallet immediately reacted and said, we're getting rid of it. And they're, I think that they're just doing, uh, I was about to say just doing it. No, I think they're doing it. I think they're doing that because they don't have any part of this shit. But that begs the question, why the fuck was it in there in the first place? If you wanted to have nothing to do with AOPP and you knew what it was, you knew what it meant, you knew how it was going to be used, then why was it ever there in the first place, guys? So I'm, I'm wait, I don't know if Spectre, which is one of my favorite wallets right now, I don't know if Spectre has AOPP, but now all, this is initiated the Bitcoin, you know, core meme tards to run out. And we're going to, I guarantee you by the end of the weekend, we're going to know every single wallet that has AOPP or ever did. But good for Sparrow and Blue Wallet to immediately notice that this has become a problem. We clearly don't fucking like it. And they are clearly going to take AOPP off of their wallet. So thank God. So I will be recommending Spectre and I will be recommending Blue Wallet. If for no other reason than just getting rid of AOPP. I've never used Sparrow Wallet. I I do use Blue Wallet and it's really a slick ass interface. It's simple. It's easy to use. It's easy to understand. And now they're not going to have the chains on them. So I I can recommend those guys. Continuing, as cash usage slowly fades away, Bitcoin might soon be the only tool left to transact privately. And it is the duty of the Bitcoin community to protect and ensure that future by raising awareness around and taking a stance against policies and mechanisms that could risk it, including vouching against the purchasing of KYC Bitcoin in the first place. Both Blue Wallet and Sparrow have declared that they will remove the built-in support for AOPP in their next release after the Bitcoin community expressed concerns around the initiative. And I guarantee you there's going to be more, but there's not going to be all. Okay, this that's the end of the article from Nomsios at Bitcoin Magazine. That's all wallets are not going to remove AOPP. And the wallets that still contain AOPP when all this dust settles down are going to be built by the companies that you should not be doing business with. Now, I'm not saying open boycott. If you want to go do that, that's your freaking business. Okay, I don't give a shit. I'm not going to put my energy into that. What I am going to put my energy into is trying to determine which wallets are going to retain AOPP and which wallets immediately got rid of them and which wallets took a while. All right. So the guys that get rid of it immediately are the wallets. You should immediately start examining as to whether or not you want to use those. Pour your energy into those. The guys that take a while and the guys that don't do it at all. Well, the guys that take a while, okay, take, you can like, that would be your second tier. 
the and I would say third tier would be the guys that didn't get rid of it at all, but <clears throat> they they shouldn't even be considered as somebody who you're going to give money to, okay? Because they're going they're going to sell you down the river. Um, Texas as a Bitcoin battleground state is heating up in the gubernatorial elections. Uh, we literally have two guys fighting for the governorship of Texas. One is the incumbent, and that would be our our stance sitting government uh, governor. But both of them are taking <laughs> big bets on Bitcoin to get elected. Check this shit out. Texas Governor Greg Abbott <clears throat> is inviting Bitcoin miners to stabilize the electrical grid. Andrew Thorvalis has this one for Decrypt.co. In recent months, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has made concentrated efforts to bring the crypto industry to his state. Besides seeing it as a as lucrative, he believes the growth of Bitcoin mining could counterintuitively help stabilize Texas's electricity grid, which has struggled to keep up with demand. Bitcoin mining has often been criticized for being energy intensive, which many argue isn't worth the environmental cost. However, a growing number of Texas politicians, including Senator Ted Cruz and Austin Mayor Steve Adler, are viewing it as a solution to other energy-related issues. That includes Governor Abbott, who hopes that by drawing Bitcoin mining to the state, power providers will step up and build more infrastructure, benefiting everyone. Voters in the Lone Star State have mostly disapproved of the handling of the Texas electrical grid, which has often been unable to provide enough affordable power during peak times. Last winter, power outages during a harsh storm contributed to several hundred deaths in the state. Abbott's a risky bet for the grid, but... Uh, yet one that Bitcoiners have been promoting for years. On one hand, the industry creates unprecedented financial incentives to produce more energy. On the other, it ultimately involves bringing greater demand and stress onto an already rickety grid. The governor is depending on Bitcoin miners to pause operations when ordered to do so, particularly when energy demand surges. This approach would mimic that of Iran, which has imposed a winter-long ban on Bitcoin mining to prevent blackouts from plaguing the country further. Though skeptics argue that mining businesses can ill afford to stop and start production for extended periods, two miners in the state have already agreed to obey the governor's request to voluntarily pause operations when energy gets scarce. Quote, it's a really healthy dynamic that brings tax revenue, brings job creation, and also is a grid-strengthening mechanism, said Texas Blockchain Council President Lee Bratcher in an interview with Bloomberg. Governor Abbott's been really supportive, end quote. According to the Texas Blockchain Council, there are at least 27 mining operations in the state. More are on the way, including digital currency group-backed Foundry. The growth of mining in the region has been especially strong thanks to other countries outright banning the proof-of-work process. China, once the Bitcoin mining center of the world, has ejected its miners as part of a larger crackdown on cryptocurrencies, leaving many to flee to the United States. Meanwhile, Kosovo has outlawed it due to the more straightforward idea that the industry is straining the grid and causing energy prices to rise. The migration has provided a counterpoint to environmentalist arguments against the industry. Compared to China's dirty coal mining, many of the miners developing in Texas and across the U.S. are dependent on renewable power. Last year, Block CEO Jack Dorsey and ARK Invest CEO Kathy Wood released a joint study arguing that Bitcoin could actually incentivize renewable energy adoption. So, yes, <clears throat> I mean, it could. 
But that's the real point here is that Greg Abbott is stepping up his rhetoric as the gubernatorial campaign or election looms near. Um, so we've got we've got a couple of people in the fray here. And the whole point is that he's ramping up his rhetoric. Meanwhile, Don Huffines, who is also running for Texas governor, is ramping up his. And this is from DonHuffines.com, his actual website. Huffines announces Bitcoin policy and plans to make Texas the citadel for Bitcoin. He actually wrote, said citadel. This is on the DonHuffines.com. So Don Huffines, H-U-F-F-I-N-E-S.com, this is on his website, Citadel, make Texas a Citadel for Bitcoin. He's using our language, right? This is rhetoric. If you don't know what rhetoric is, you might want to go look it up. Some rhetoric is, is good. I'll, it's, it's been maligned in the past. It depends on, it's a tool like anything else. It's a hammer. You can bash a nail in or you can bash a head in. It depends on who's using the tool, but rhetoric is rhetoric, all right? It, it doesn't matter if it's being used for good or if it's being used for ill, but one thing is for sure, I always, when I see rhetoric, I start getting, I start getting the hackles on my neck raise up and I, I start going, well, you know, is it, is it going to be used for good or is it going to be used for bad? Because like I said, it can go either way. Let's see if this statement from DonHuffines.com clears up his intentions. On Friday, conservative Republican candidate for governor of Texas, Don Huffines, released his plan to make Texas the leading state in America for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Huffines issued the following statement, quote, I have owned Bitcoin for years and am a strong believer in both its value as an asset and potential as a currency. As a leader in innovation, Texas must lead the nation on Bitcoin policy and cryptocurrency adoption. I am committed to making Texas the citadel for Bitcoin and protecting the industry from the federal government. Huffines further added, quote, It's clear that the federal government is trying to shut down or limit freedom-loving Texans who are investing in Bitcoin, and without a courageous governor who will stand up against them, they will. Not on my watch. End quote. Don Huffines is a proud fifth-generation Texan. Husband, father, grandfather, and self-made entrepreneur, a committed conservative, Huffines is fighting to safeguard Texas elections, phase out property taxes. Ooh, that would be cool as shit, dude. Oh, wait a minute. That might mean the installation of income taxes. Uh, No, no, fuck you. Uh, I, I just don't want to deal with it. And secure the border once and for all. Huffines is challenging Governor Greg Abbott for the right in the Texas Republican primary. Texans deserve leadership. No excuses. Don Huffines, an actual Republican. (laughs) What did I say about suit speak yesterday? Get some humor or inventiveness or imagination. This is just suit speak, man. Got to put a fucking tie on it. It's just boring me to death. But be that as it may. So the other Republican candidate for Texas so far, and there may be more, I'm not sure, are battling it out along Bitcoin lines. What the, what does that tell you? Huh? Yeah. First they, first they ignore you and and then they laugh at you. Then they fight you and then they get on your side. Well, for Bitcoiners, apparently what's going to happen is they're going to fight you at the same time that others in the same place that 
government's going to fight you. And yet here we have part of government that is actually siding with us, or so it seems. I, you know, I, I don't want to say that they definitely are because I don't go drink beer with, with Greg Abbott or Don Huffines. I don't really know these guys. And without really knowing somebody, you really don't know what their intentions are. You watch what they do, not you don't listen to what they say. So we've got to actually watch what Huff Hines and Greg Abbott physically do. But right now, it looks like we're both being fought and we're both being, you know, our our loins are being girded with people who are, you know, either, either the sitting governor or the wannabe governor of one of the largest, most powerful states in the United States. I I think we're mainstream at this point. I, I don't, I think the laughing at us, I think we are, we've put that to bed a long time ago. So there you go, man. It's kind of interesting to see governors or governor and potential governor fighting it over Bitcoin rhetoric. It's interesting. William Suberg is going to bring us this one from Cointelegraph. Crypto holders may not get rich from mainstream adoption, says a report by Goldman Sachs anyway. Yeah, Goldman Sachs running for the hills. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency adoption may not necessarily make its price higher in dollar terms, Goldman Sachs argues. In a note seen by Bloomberg published on Thursday, the international banking giant claimed that mainstream acceptance of crypto assets would increase their correlation to other mainstream asset classes. In a view contrary to that of many Bitcoin proponents, Goldman sounded uh, sounded firmly uninspired by the prospect of crypto as a tool for the enrichment of the mass populace. Gee, I wonder why. Quote, while it can raise valuations, it will also likely raise correlations with other financial market variables, reducing the diversification benefit of holding the asset class, the note reads. Its authors, Zach Pandel and Isabella Rosenberg, additionally described mainstream adoption as a double-edged sword. Put another way, should Bitcoin or crypto become more correlated with extant assets, the scope for asymmetric profit would be reduced. The comments come as crypto markets indeed exhibit a higher correlation with equities, in particular this month, with projections for 2022 not favoring a strong recovery, at least at first. Nonetheless, even Goldman itself has not wholly subscribed to only one narrative, Earlier in January, reasoning that Bitcoin could still reach $100,000, somewhat ironically, by stealing market share from gold and thus luring in more traditional investors. Alternative theories for Bitcoin specifically eschew the idea of correlation outpacing the rate of gains delivered by other factors going forward. The simple mathematical equation of dwindling supply in the face of broader adoption is championed by analysts as a de facto guarantee of higher prices, versus fiat currencies in the future. Bitcoin's predictable emission schedule combined with growing wallet entities equal a phenomenon that continues to play out despite low time frame price weakness. The retracement that began in November, meanwhile, has failed to dent the enthusiasm of larger wallet holders. Data from monitoring resource sentiment reveals. So the, yeah, the large holders, by the way, are exchanges. They're always gonna have a shit ton of BTC in their wallets. And likewise, you know, large private holders are probably just at the, I mean, large wallet holders have been in for a long time. Most of them have been in for a long, long time. They were mining Bitcoin when they were getting 50 Bitcoin to pop every 10 minutes and they were able to do it with a laptop. All right. These guys were not working for Goldman Sachs. They're none. I guarantee it. 
they're numb from all this shit. Going from, you know, 10 bucks all the way back down to a buck, going to $1,000 all the way down to whatever it was, 30. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've rode... They've rode every single one of the crashes. And by now, I guarantee you, they don't give a shit. They've already cashed out some of their stack and they're sitting high and doing all the things that they want to do. And they still have a massive stack of Bitcoin. They don't need to sell. It's going to be amazing. But what's obvious here, Goldman Sachs is very frightened and they very much want to make sure that you know that there's no way to ever get rich unless you are at the top of the food chain like Goldman Sachs is. Biden administration to regulate Bitcoin as a matter of national security. Oh my God, let's all run for the hills. The amount of crying and bitching and moaning that I heard saw on Twitter yesterday was, it was embarrassing people. It was fucking embarrassing. Why is it embarrassing? Because the words executive order were part of the rhetoric used from the Biden administration, which scared the living pee out of every little kid in Bitcoin. And they didn't even take time to go read what the executive order actually is. And we're going to do that right now with Nomsios from Bitcoin Magazine. The White House wants to set out a cohesive set of policies to regulate Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as current Legislation and its enforcement are scattered across sectors and agencies, according to multiple reports. The Biden administration will release an executive order in the coming weeks to task federal agencies with assessing the risks and opportunities that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies pose, Bloomberg first reported. That's the gist of this entire thing. I'm going to read it again so that you understand what the executive order actually is. And we're going to talk about it before I continue. The Biden administration will release an executive order in the coming weeks to task federal agencies with assessing the risks and opportunities that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies pose. The executive order can't regulate Bitcoin, even, and I suppose, well, let's say, no, bullshit, you're full of shit, David. Okay, let's say it does. They, uh, my, my Bitcoin is never going to the United States government. And you'll say, okay, well, then have fun staying poor while you try to spend it in the United States. I might move. I might go to El Salvador. I don't know. I mean, I would, I would rather not. I mean, I've talked about immigration and, and, and shit like that on several occasions that you really, most people really don't want to leave the country of their birth. There is still such a thing as patriotism, but make no mistake. If I am by executive order or any other thing, not allowed to actually use my Bitcoin in the way that I feel that it should be used, then color me gone. But I don't think that's going to happen because we have the 10th Amendment. So if you're not familiar with the United States, you don't live here like you're in the Netherlands or whatever, the 10th Amendment of the Constitution of the United States is, is the last amendment in the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights, if not signed by all the people that were going to ratify the Constitution of the United States, then if that was if they didn't all sign it and didn't agree to it, then there was not going to be a Constitution of the United States as it was written already, it was already written, it was already drafted, 
They were it was set on the table and they said, sign this motherfucker. And everybody said, no, not, not unless you sign, we all sign this first. And it was the Bill of Rights. The 10th Amendment, the Bill of Rights is amendments, the first 10 amendments of all the amendments to the Constitution of the United States. And it was ratified and signed before the Constitution was. So understand how important the Bill of Rights is. The 10th Amendment specifically says, if it's not mentioned in the Constitution of the United States, then it is up for, to each individual state to decide on whether or not federal laws apply. Essentially, that's what it means. If it's not written, in, if it, essentially it means this. If it, we'll boil it down even further. If it ain't said in the Constitution, then Texas gets to do whatever the fuck they want as long as it doesn't violate what's in the Constitution or any of the other amendments. I don't remember Bitcoin being mentioned in the Constitution. Yeah, there's some stuff about currency, but, you know, it doesn't really say anything about federal currency, does it? It just says stuff about currency. So I think what'll happen is that you'll get this big fight and um, Texas and Florida and any of the other states that actually, you know, desire to be free and have their people be free will tell the states under the 10th Amendment, uh, Biden, you can go fucking fuck off. Now, here's the second thing. An executive order to task federal agencies with assessing risks and opportunities of Bitcoin. That should have been done without an executive order. You know what this executive order is doing? It's calling a meeting. Is Biden so weak that he has to actually put out an executive order to get people to actually go to a table to do the jobs that they were hired for in the first place? No. It's rhetoric. This is the use of bad rhetoric. This is using rhetoric as a tool to do and commit bad things. This is the difference between using rhetoric for good and using rhetoric for bad. Let's continue. The order is set to come under the umbrella of national security efforts as the administration seeks to analyze cryptocurrencies and employ a cohesive regulatory framework that would cover Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, stablecoins, and NFTs. <clears throat> Quote, this is designed to look holistically at digital assets and develop a set of policies that give coherency to what the government is trying to do in this space. Because digital assets don't stay in one country, it's necessary to work with other countries on synchronization. End quote. And that was a person familiar with the White House plan. The regulatory efforts would repeatedly or reportedly involve the State Department, the Treasury Department, National Economic Council, and Council of Economic Advisors, as well as the White House National Security Council, as the administration gauges that cryptocurrencies have economic implications for national security, per the Barron's report. The White House's plan is to, quote, bring order to the haphazard approach that the government is now using to regulate crypto, the person told Barron's. Currently, different aspects of the cryptocurrency market are dealt with by different agencies, including the Securities and Exchange Commission and the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, but there's little coordination and consensus when it comes to the classification of the many different assets in the market. According to the Bloomberg report, senior officials at the administration had held multiple meetings on the plan, and the directive is expected to be presented to President Joe Biden in the coming weeks. So ordering your people to do their job. They should have been doing this in the first fucking place. They should have been doing that. They should, they were wasting their time pointing at us and laughing when they should have been all over this. And now president Biden in his 
I don't know, his geriatric stupor and drooling and poop in his pants has decided that he's going to put pen to paper and make an executive order out of it. And my God, how embarrassing. Let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids have exploded on uh, CNBC.com futures and commodities. West Texas Intermediate up over two points to $88.37 a barrel. Brent North Sea up two and a quarter points to $91.38 a barrel. Natural gas, oh my God, 9.32% to the upside, $4.68 per 1,000 cubic feet. Gasoline, 1.88% to the upside, $2.56 a gallon. All your shiny metal rocks got buried. Gold down 0.35%. $1,788, people. Uh, Peter Schiff, is his precious pet rock is now under again, 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 is under $1,800. That seems to be its, its ceiling for, you know, and has been for, God, it seems like forever. Silver is down 0.75, $22.50 an ounce. Platinum is down $2, no, $2, my ass, 2.22%. Copper is down almost 2%, and palladium is down 1.5 points. Uh, Let's see, uh, agricultural futures are completely mixed. Your winner is soybeans, uh, 1.78% to the upside, followed by corn, followed by wheat. Uh, no, wait, I take that back. Coffee is next up in line, 1.87% to the upside. Biggest loser today is rice, 1.24% to the downside. Indices, uh, they're all down, but scant. Dow futures down 0.4, S&P futures down 0.08, uh, NASDAQ futures down 0.06, and S&P mini down, down 0.4. I would, I'd say scant. It's not really scant when you have an almost half percent point to the downside on both the S&P and the Dow. But in terms of what I'm used to, yeah, it's scant. Speaking of real money, $36,749.28, 257,000 transactions in the last 24 hours is 10,700 transactions every hour on the hour with just over what, actually, no, it just flipped. Uh, 1.1 million BTC sent in that 24-hour period. That's 46,140 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 4.3 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.016 BTC, or about 575 bucks. Block times are now low, nine minutes. So yesterday it was... 11 minutes and today it's now nine minutes, whatever. 0.07 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 12 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. And with a 6.36% jump in hash rate, we are now at 185.2 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator as usual is Doge, 13.9 United States pennies. 11,539 transactions are waiting on six blocks to clear. $701.4 billion of market capitalization is just under 6% of gold's market cap. And 20.7 ounces of shiny metal rocks can be had with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,942,204. 
3,361 of those are locked in the Lightning Network, valued at $124.4 million, being run over 19,422 nodes, sporting 84,634 payment channels, and 76.4% of all that shit's being run over Tor, and specifically over 11,412 Lightning Tor nodes that we know about. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use for all you miners out there. Uh, listen up. How 2021 became one of the most surprising and formative years in Bitcoin mining, according to Kareem Helmy and Brandon Bailey, writing it for Bitcoin Magazine. 2021 was a major year for Bitcoin mining. The third halving in May of 2020 brought broader attention to mining at large, and the growing interest has never subsided. In 2021, favorable economics made mining profitable for almost every participant, drawing in more and more participants. The emergence of flare gas mining, Elon Musk's comments about Bitcoin's ESG footprint, the creation of the Bitcoin Mining Council, and Western migration that accelerated as a result of Chinese regulation all contributed to a rapidly expanding and shifting mining landscape marked by greater transparency. In spite of all the attention that the historically opaque market received last year, volatility, regulation, and supply chain disruptions made 2021 one of the more surprising years in the history of Bitcoin mining and one of the most formative. Several verticals, including brokerages, off-grid mining, and hosting saw significant numbers of new entrants. Most notably, the industry has seen large capital inflows through a record number of public listings driven by demand for liquidity and capital that only the United States public markets are able to provide. Mining profitability in 2021 benefited from a combination of Bitcoin price reaching new all-time highs and idiosyncratic events such as the convergence of the global chip shortage and a ban on mining in China. Despite the China ban, we witnessed a V-shaped recovery in hash rate and ended the year back near all-time highs and substantially above where it started the year. In 2022, we at Galaxy Digital expect the hash rate to grow substantially and operating margins to compress if price stays constant. Given the amount of hash rate rate or hash rate on order by public miners, we expect hash rate to continue to dislocate from price. We see network hash rate landing somewhere between 300 exahashes per second and 370 exahashes per second by the end of the year, with the baseline estimate of 335 exahashes per second. Even with projections of strong hash rate growth, it's likely that many of the publicly traded miners will still remain highly profitable. Early in 2021, Securing machines was a major bottleneck as a result of supply chain disruptions and a global chip shortage. With BTC trading high in 2021, ASICs were in demand and long lead times became standard. The secondary market, which trades relatively thinly, reflected a strong appreciation for ASIC prices. While both Chinese miners and hardware manufacturers, as well as international competitors, had already been expanding operations outside of the country by 2021, the floodgates opened when China announced a ban on mining in May. This ban spurred massive growth in Kazakhstan, Russian 
and American mining operations while dramatically decentralizing the network out of China and also yielded a significant uplift in profitability for the miners that did remain online. The United States was already gaining market share before the ban as a result of its superior regulatory and financial infrastructure, but at the start of 2021, the U.S. was still a frontier market for mining. Following the ban, North America became rapidly the center of the mining industry with an increased number of miners tapping the public markets for both debt and equity financings, typically after selling equity in private markets. At the start of 2021, there were only two Bitcoin mining companies listed on the NASDAQ, Marathon Digital and Riot Blockchain, with several others trading on Canada's TSX Venture Exchange. As of the end of 2021, 16 Bitcoin mining companies were listed on the NASDAQ with seven additional listings pending. As the industry becomes more competitive and building economies of scale become more crucial, we expect to see even more mining companies attempt to take advantage of the unparalleled liquidity in public equity markets and use the capital raised to invest in additional equipment and infrastructure buildouts. This trend will be particularly pronounced if BTC price remains high enough that most miners continue operating profitably. In the event of a sustained market downturn, a spike in merger and acquisition activity seems likely as larger and leaner miners opportunistically purchase less efficient competitors for hard assets like machines and transformers. With more Bitcoin mining companies now listed on U.S. exchanges, reporting requirements for public companies have opened the door for industry participants to gain key insights into Bitcoin mining operations. One of the biggest benefits of having many publicly listed miners is that it's easier for researchers to estimate future hash rate growth and ASIC market dominance by observing press releases detailing companies' machine purchase orders. We expect the share of hash rate contributed by publicly traded Bitcoin miners to increase to 40 to 45% of the network's hash rate by the end of 2022 based on the 100 plus exahashes of machines on order for 2022 per company filings and press releases. In conclusion, 2021 was a very eventful year for mining. Mining has begun to attract more attention both inside and outside of the Bitcoin space with operators and inventors, or rather investors, interested in its economics and others concerned about its perceived economic or environmental impact. As for 2022, we're bullish. If current trends continue, the industry will continue to professionalize and efficient miners will differentiate themselves from the rest of the pack. North America will play a historically outsized role in the next year, especially as public companies scale up their hash rates and continue to gain market share. The expansion of the industry in the region will bring more jobs to rural communities in the United States and Canada as miners seek out areas with excess power, including former manufacturing hubs. Miners will probably have a good year. More likely than not, the ongoing dislocation between hash rate and price will continue as supply chain failures and hardware constraints limit hash rate growth. Okay, so the little quip about uh, burgeoning rural communities with Bitcoin mining is not to be taken lightly because here's what sort of what I see. As I see the American landscape of mining become centralized, i.e. the buyouts of that they were talking about of 
large, you know, large miners being bought by even larger miners who are more efficient. That's a centralization move. That's kind of probably going to be a problem moving forward. So what I see after a centralization of Bitcoin mining is a rapid decentralization of Bitcoin mining. And where are they going to go? They're going to go to a lot of places that only have small towns around them. And like in West Texas and Eastern New Mexico, what you're going to find are small towns are really, really close to what? Windmill farms. And what's going to happen? Mobile, small miners are going to set up shop in those towns. And they're going to remain mobile, right? It's easy to move. You don't, you need, you, all you need is electricity and an internet connection, either through hardwire or satellite. And all of a sudden you can pick up and move anywhere, but they're going to need jobs. So people are going to be moving to these rural communities that are close to at least in, in my neck of the woods, a bunch of windmills. And there's a bunch of rural communities that have been dying over the last 50, 70 years. And they're around a whole shit ton of windmills. And those windmills have a problem. They really don't have good piping to get their electricity to, you know, other places, right? It's sort of a farce. The whole windmill thing is sort of a farce right now, but Bitcoin mining can make that farce and turn it, take it and turn it into something real and, and profitable and realistically something that we can depend on as... It, extra electricity to power the grids when the wind is blowing. I, I get the whole, that whole thing, but as miners set up and they make money, it would, it's probably going to not be a stretch to think that those miners are going to start building electrical infrastructure. And as they, you know, they, they make money in this town, they invest their money into like transformer substations or whatever. And they just keep moving from the place the windmills that are producing electricity, they keep moving farther and farther away and their direction is going to vector towards large towns. So they're going to start at small towns and they're just going to hop and skip. And as they build the, the high, as they, I can see them building high tension power lines that just terminate into a bunch of Bitcoin miners and then they make enough money and then they can start building again and they'll just literally migrate. They'll just leapfrog all the way to a big city. And by the time they get to that big city, they've built a transmission line that they own, that they can rent out the transmission of electricity to the large town. And they're going to make a fuck ton of money doing it. So it's going to start with Bitcoin miners and those Bitcoin miners are going to do what they're going to convert into masters of energy, masters of energy, MOE, baby. It's going to be a thing. Make the acronym live on Twitter right now. Masters of energy and so many of these companies are going to do it and they will never centralize again because it will not make economic sense for them to do so. If they can take their miners and move them, make money and build infrastructure behind them, then they can just like a caterpillar go like they just start, they start in West Texas and they just end up in Amarillo and there's a whole shit ton of energy that's being brought with it. Just think about that. Just think about that. Now, now let's move on. OpenSea email over inactive NFT listing sparks Twitter debate. Everything's always a debate on Twitter. Bits versus sats. Uh, am I going to be able to get to that? Maybe not. Um, I'm not. I don't really want to get into it. Let's do the OpenSea one. Co Coin Telegraph. Ornella Hernandez 
maybe it's pronounced Ornea, Ornea Hernandez is writing for Cointelegraph. Twitter users reacted negatively to an OpenSea email sent to users who still had inactive, inactive listings on their accounts. In the email, OpenSea explained that old NFT listings are still fulfillable and should be canceled by the user because OpenSea is unable to cancel them on their behalf. Bullshit, you aren't. They claimed this would prevent any of your items from being sold at an inactive listing price due to Ethereum's dropping price. According to the NFT collector DingleArts and other users, This warning had the opposite effect, and canceling the listings ended up recreating the order. Dingolintz, or however you pronounce it, tweeted a thread urging users to first transfer your NFTs to a different address and cancel the listing on the original address before actually canceling them. He cites another user, Swalfchain.eth, who claimed that he lost at least 15 Ethereum or ETH After canceling a Mutant Ape Yacht Club listing, it was relisted for 6 ETH, but someone waiting in the ETH mempool ended up selling the NFT in the same block by front-running the cancellation. While some users like RoundCatCrypto commented to SwolfChain.eth, this one's on you, man. Don't play with the company because you were trying to save a couple of bucks. Whatever. Others rallied in support of him and Dingling Arts. Alex Atala, co-founder of OpenSea, responded to SwolfChan.eth's thread, tweeting that they have a team working on it and putting up countermeasures now. SwolfChan.eth followed up and asked if he could expect a reimbursement, but received no response. So another way that you're getting rug pulled on OpenSea. If you didn't understand that, it's okay. I don't blame you. It's just, it seems that what OpenSea did is say, hey, look, You've got inactive listings. You need to get them off. Otherwise, you're going to get, you know, it's, it's going to be bad. And then the people that went to actually go do that got, well, they lost they lost money. The whole game of playing with NFTs at this point should be, it should be readily evident that you don't get into this crap. This, all this, it it's too gameable. There's too many moving parts. And that makes it gameable by somebody who, probably sat around and ran numbers in their head on Dungeons and Dragons as to exactly what armor they needed, what sword they needed, and were able to add up all the bullshit in their head without even a pencil or a pad of paper and defeat, I don't know, a fucking ice dragon. Who gives a shit? But it's the same, it's the same deal. You're, you're competing against people that probably paid, played video games from the time that they were eight and are able to do wicked math in their head in a game theory setting. And if you don't think that they're doing the same thing now to take take away your physical money, then you are absolutely fooling yourself. Speaking of hacks, Qubit Finance suffers $80 million loss following a hack. Arnold Karimi has it for Cointelegraph. High-profile hacks have become more prevalent through the cryptocurrency uh, market, and Qubit Finance is one of the latest DeFi protocols to be exploited by hackers. <laughs> Hackers were able to access and steal over $80 million from Qubit Finance, which is based on Binance Smart Chain, the protocol confirmed via a tweet on Friday. The address linked to the assault stole 206,809 Binance coin from Qubit's QBridge protocol. The assets are valued at more than $80 million at time of writing. QBridge was hacked to create a huge amount of XETH, 
collateral that was subsequently used to drain the entire quantity of BNB stored on QBridge, according to PeckShield, which analyzed Qubit's, uh, Qubit's smart contracts in a report by security firm Certic. The attacker utilized a deposit option in the QBridge contract to illegally mint 77,000 QX ETH, which is an asset representing either bridged via Qubit or uh, Ether bridged via Qubit. The protocol was duped into believing that hackers had deposited money that, that when they hadn't. Let me do that again. The protocol was duped into believing that hack attackers had deposited money when they hadn't. Uh, the protocol is a quote unquote smart contract. I love it when smart contracts get duped. Why? Because I don't, I don't mess around with DeFi or NFTs. According to Certic, the hacker carried out these actions multiple times and converted all of the assets to Binance coin as a result. This makes the exploit the seventh largest in DeFi according to DeFi yield wrecked data. The Qubit team sent out a statement to notify clients that they are still monitoring the hacker and their impacted assets. The blog also notes that we have contacted the attacker to offer the maximum reward as determined by their program. The team has since disabled supply, redeem, borrow, repay, bridge, and bridge redemption features until further notice. However, they indicated that claiming is still available. Hacks, rug pulls, and protocol exploits are all common in the cryptocurrency sector. Yeah, not like it is in DeFi. Earlier this month, decentralized finance security platform and bug bounty service Immunify revealed that cybercrime losses surpassed $10.2 billion in 2021 alone. On January 17th, the popular crypto exchange Crypto.com suffered from a nearly $34 million loss following a security breach. Do I need to say it? Do I? I probably don't need to say it. Okay. Kirill Barayanov is writing this one for Cointelegraph. Clamp down on crypto ads. A one-off or a new phase of global regulation? Over the last week, regulators in three major jurisdictions across two continents introduced new rules governing cryptocurrency-related promotions and advertisements. Citing consumer risks associated with digital asset investments, authorities in the United Kingdom, Singapore, and Spain tightened the requirements around crypto firms' marketing messaging and customer recruitment practices. While some experts view this emerging trend as a sign of a new global phase of cryptocurrency regulation, questions about the efficiency and universal applicability of this new approach persist. In the United Kingdom, Her Majesty's Treasury, oh, Your Majesty, issued a report summarizing the results of a public consultation on crypto asset promotions published in July of 2020, as well as the government's further steps in bringing such promotions within the regulatory perimeter. The key takeaway here is that crypto-related marketing messages are to be included in the scope of the financial promotion order meaning that the same rules will apply to them as those governing promotions of traditional financial products. The National Securities Market Commission, Spain's chief securities regulator, 
announced a new set of requirements that will apply to digital asset firms targeting 100,000 people or more with their ads, as well as those relying on social media influencers to promote their products and services. I'm gonna pause right there to ask the question. Do you file a form that says this ad is trying to reach more than 100,000 people? What if I put out an ad and say, I'm only trying to reach 10 people and it accidentally reached 100,000 people? What, how do you, you know what? You think about it, you tell me. I, I, don't, have, I don't have the neurons left already. Um, <laughs> in both the UK and Spain, regulators will require crypto promotions to abide by the principles of clarity and fairness while also prominently featuring risk disclosures. Ads sponsors will also have to either seek pre-approval from the UK or notify the authorities in Spain of the upcoming events. The guidelines issued by the Monetary Authority of Singapore feature even more severe limitations. Essentially, the regulator will allow digital asset service providers to advertise solely on their own platforms, while physical ads in public spaces or using third parties such as social media influencers are entirely off limits. Up until recently, regulators largely afforded crypto firms a wide latitude as far as promotional activity was concerned. If anything, it was big tech firms that experimented with censoring crypto-related ads on their platforms. Now, financial regulators are moving into the front seat. Nathan Katiana, partner at digital asset firm XREG Consulting sees this development as a sign of shifting regulatory landscapes. Katiana, Katania, sorry, C-A-T-A-N-I-A, Katania, commented to Cointelegraph, quote, jurisdictions that have ironed out AML, CTF, or CFT regimes are now looking at other prominent crypto risks, and it is clear that consumer protection is high on the agenda. Yeah, yeah, this is how we keep people in prison. They say it's for your safety, and I can see that. I mean, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but the knock-on effects is that nobody gets to invest in anything. That's why they have such a thing as credited or rather accredited investors, which means that if you're poor, you're going to stay poor. Now, let's continue. Many large crypto players have been ramping up advertising campaigns in the last year or so, and this is drawing the attention of policymakers and regulators who will want to ensure that these advertisements are not misleading consumers, end quote. In an ex-Reg's report on the topic, Catania and his colleagues further argue that the crypto industry players can expect regulatory authorities in other countries to follow suit in the coming months noting that the wave of restrictions on crypto promotions can represent the second phase of crypto asset regulation focused on consumer protections. Indeed, one way to look at the intensifying regulatory attention to digital asset promotions is that there exists a logical sequence of measures to which governments assign varying levels of priority. Another interpretation seems feasible as well, whereby authorities simply react to an emerging reality, regardless of whether they consider the more fundamental regulatory boxes as successfully checked. Naturally, the growth and mainstreaming of the digital asset space in recent years resulted in crypto businesses expanding their outreach to audiences far beyond the original core of the movement. While the exact numbers are difficult to pin down, it is clear that in the past year, the volume of crypto ads across many countries and platforms, from Indian TV to London's public transport, has massively increased. 
In the light of these dynamics, as regulators thinking goes, it is likely that people with insufficient understanding of crypto as an asset class will get exposed to bad faith promotional messages. Some of them could then be tempted to invest or otherwise participate in digital finance without being fully aware of the risks. Reliable data on the effects of the new restrictions on crypto promotions is unlikely to appear anytime soon, and at this point, it is impossible to tell whether it will have major effects on people's financial well-being or crypto companies' bottom line. Shang Peng Zhao, CEO of the crypto exchange Binance, uh, opined that the growing trend will not affect the demand for digital asset products because word of mouth is the primary marketing tool in the space. It is also not warranted that the regulatory concern for cryptocurrency promotions will be equally distributed geographically. For one, in the United States, there are currently few signs of crypto ads being in government watchdogs' crosshairs. Raul Garcia, financial services principal at Florida-based accounting firm uh, Kaufman Rawson, noted to Cointelegraph that in the United States, regulatory focus is on taxation and investor protection, whereas promotional messages remain outside of the scope of the authority's attention. Garcia commented, quote, Everywhere you look in the United States, there's something about crypto. They're advertising... And I really don't see any strong resistance, any limit to crypto promotion or anything like that. Too much money to be made, end quote. The difference between the jurisdictions ramping up cryptocurrency ads oversight in the United States can be attributed to the heightened focus on consumer protection characteristics of many European nation, nations in Singapore versus the American free market focus. All other regulatory considerations held equal, more relaxed rules for digital asset promotions could make the U.S. a more attractive destination for crypto companies in the future. So there you go. Somebody's actually doing a fairly serious write-up on these regulations that are coming down about crypto ads. What do I think about crypto ads? Well, 99.97 or 99.99% of all crypto ads are built specifically to steal money from you. I don't like crypto ads because they most of them represent something other than Bitcoin. If it's an ad about Bitcoin, I, okay, as long as you're going to offer, you know, non-custodial Bitcoin to the clients that do business with you. If that's your product, if providing them an on-ramp ramp to get Bitcoin and be able to hold their own Bitcoin is your service, then then advertise away, bitch. I'm good with it. For the rest of it, I don't give a shit. I, I, I don't care. I probably should care because it's a, you know, a freedom of speech issue for, for some, but I, I just don't have the time to give a shit whether or not fucking Ethereum assholes can advertise their shit chain. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. But here's what I will say. You can't have crypto ads, but have you looked at the amount of pharmaceutical advertisements on television and in magazines lately? Have you seen that? Yeah, see, in the 80s, in the 1970s, and all the way up until the very late 80s, there was no such thing. Actually, in the 60s, 50s, 40s, there was no such thing as advertising pharmaceuticals. But in the early to mid-90s, there was a rule change in the United States government that allowed, because there was actually a rule, you can't. It was like cigarette ads. You, you could advertise them in magazines, but not on television. All right, that was a rule. That was a law. You could not do it. The F, uh, Federal Communications Commission would find the living crap out of anybody that ran a cigarette ad. Okay, 
Same thing for pharmaceuticals. You would get fined if you ran a pharmaceutical ad. And then somewhere between 1990 and 1995, somewhere around there, that shit changed. And all of a sudden, you saw nothing but pharmaceutical advertisements. And I'm going to suggest that most pharmaceuticals are just crap that they actually don't do what they say they're going to do and they cause other problems. I mean, like, like immediate liver failure as being part of the disclaimer notes on an ad for a drug that they're trying to get you to go hornswoggle your doctor into prescribing you. That's bad. You know, uh, sudden death, uh, renal failure. You know what renal failure means? It means your kidneys shut down. You know what happens when your kidneys shut down? You die within minutes. Within minutes, you know, your, your kidneys are basically filtering your blood. Your liver is doing some filtering too, but it's more of, it, it kind of does it different. The kidneys are the ones that if that son of a bitch shuts down, you are dead within minutes. Renal failure causes a cascade of organ failure in the human being. And I literally see advertisements for drugs with the happy old couple sitting in fucking bathtubs looking over a goddamn cliff at an ocean saying that, oh, sudden death and, and onset of renal failure may occur. And I still don't understand what half these drugs are purported to do. We can have those. And they can, they can sponsor anything they want. And they pretty much sponsor all of mainstream media as over the last two years has demonstrated. But we can't have crypto ads. And you can't invest in something unless you're an accredited investor. This entire world is built, purpose-built, not by God, what we've turned it into has now been re-imaged. Let's say that the world has been reimagined from its original purpose to keep you poor, keep you in prison, keep you confused and keep you pissed off and keep you scared. Break out, get out of the cities, move somewhere that's nice. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. It's Friday and it's time for a joke. And thank God this one's a little bit better from Dad Says Jokes, except that I, I have rewritten it um, to make it what I think is a little bit better. I was washing the car with my son yesterday. My wife came out and asked why I couldn't just use a sponge. I was washing the car with my son. Get it? But whatever. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and tweet that one out. Um, if you want to support the show, podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. It also will teach you what's going on with the future of value for value transmissions, the consumption of content created by people like yours truly and others, and being able to trade what we do for what you have, which is those sweet, sweet Satoshis. Should we get into the Satoshis versus bits thing a little bit? Stop. We've got better fish to fry. The AOPP thing that I covered at the beginning of the first half of the show, you should be concerned about that. What the hell we call one one hundred millionth of a Bitcoin is absolutely a waste of your time. Stop it. Actually, if you want to, you know what? I don't, I don't, I care about it to this point. If you want to go ahead and bitch about it, you go right ahead. I'm not listening. I'm muting bits. 
for right now. And I guess that means that I'm going to have, well, actually I'm muting bits forever. I'm muting bits for probably about a couple of weeks because I just, I don't have time to listen to the silly squabbling about what to call one one hundred millionth of a Bitcoin, whatever you want to call it, stream it to me through podcasting 2.0 and it's going to hit my lightning node and I'm going to see them come in, whether they're called Satoshis or whether they're called bits, I fucking don't care. All I know is that I'm getting them while you're listening to me. And this is the future of value transmission as we go forward into the future, because you're going to not only be listening to podcast and streaming on a minute per minute value or basis value uh, from your wallet to my wallet, you're going to be doing it for video games. You're going to be doing it for video streaming. It's going to be your radio station, your, I don't know, whatever else. Paywalls. Paywalls is the big one that, that I, I just cannot wrap my head around how easy it is to set up a paywall to read past the first two paragraphs of a news article. And I know why Wall Street Journal and the rest of them will not actually do it. But it's so easy to set up. And I would so be reading more articles from mainstream media if they, not because I want to, but because there's probably information in some of these things that, you know, uh, that I might want to know. But I'm not going to pay an annual subscription. I'm not going to give them a a credit card number. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to send them money via PayPal. They want to put up a QR code that allows me to pay a quarter of a dollar and I can use strike to get that shit done, then they should go ahead and do that because they would have already made probably 20 bucks off of me over the last year. So I'm just saying, learn how to use podcasting 2.0, learn what it is, learn how it works, because that model is going to be everywhere that you see over the next five and 10 years. Okay. So you might as well get used to it now. And if you don't want to do that, filthy fiat is always converted into Bitcoin almost immediately when it comes off my Patreon. You can look for that at Bitcoin and podcast on Patreon. That's Bitcoin and podcast on Patreon. With all that said, I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend and don't get into the bits versus sats fray. It ain't worth your time. See you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.